Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates uh, video game movies, uh, video game TV shows, games based on TV shows and films, and and I guess today a film series extremely loosely based on a Stephen King short story. Yes, today we are tackling The Lawnmower Man 1 and 2. This is video game adjacent when people think of virtual reality people tend to gravitate towards video games even though these films don't really cover games in a way but we'll get stuck into that Pierce Brosnan says you're through to the next level that's good enough for me (laughs) Uh, but the main reason I suppose that we decided to do these two movies together was because of the Stephen King connection. Uh, The new Stephen King film, uh, It Chapter 2, is coming out, a sequel to It Chapter 1. So, uh, good excuse to talk about Stephen King. Yes. Do you want to talk about Stephen King? (laughs) Well, what's your your, uh, experience with the king of horror? I don't know. I... There's... Huge swathes of Stephen King I have not paid much attention to. His books? Yeah, mainly his books. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not what you would say a voracious reader. And so the fact that there have been so many adaptations of Stephen King material has put me in good stead. Because it means I haven't had to really read any of his books. I'm sure we'd be delighted <laughs> to hear that. The only one I did attempt to read mm-hmm. was Cell. Oh, right, the mobile phone one. The mobile phone one, which was adapted into a film with Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack. Mm. And I didn't see the film, but I think I picked up the book while I was in Japan, because it was one of the only books in, an, in a bookstore which was in the English language. Some ringing endorsements. And I needed, I needed something <laughs> to... Uh, yes. I needed something to read because I was going on a journey, and I kind of enjoyed what I read, but I got about halfway through and then stopped. Well, and a, didn't pick it up again. I'm a massive horror fan, but I've read barely any horror books because they all too often read like Garth Marenghi. They mm-hmm. all too often are, and then a hell beast ate them. Yeah. Um, last time I tried to read Stephen King... Gosh, <laughs> this is like a, a Stephen King Anonymous where you haven't actually read Stephen King. Um, off the back of it, I, I tried to read the book again and... Uh, One thing the film does very well, one thing the Tim Curry 90s TV version of it does very well, is that opening section where Georgie, uh, the little kid, gets attacked by the clown. And that's just a good scene with some tension. But in the book, it's like multiple chapters crisscrossing throughout the start of that book. Georgie, I don't think he dies for like 50 pages. Mm. (laughs) But so, yes, like yourself, my main interaction with Stephen King are his adaptations. So we have uh, It, um, I think, 
I think perhaps the best one is The Shining. Um, yeah, I guess that's the one which is the most sort of critically mm. lauded, although that's famously one of the ones that he is least happy with in mm. terms of a adaptation of his text. And I guess we did mention The Shining in our Ready Player One episode. Very much. I mean, if you look at his oeuvre, he does seem to be very fond of adaptations which are very faithful to his sure. work, which yeah. I suppose is an author's prerogative. I remember the Stand TV show, mm-hmm. which was kind of like, I feel like it's what the, the Walking Dead TV show did uh, later, um, mm-hmm. even though it's based on the comic. The Mist, I, I really love, um, based on, on a short story. And uh, I think Misery is perhaps the other classic Stephen King mm-hmm. film because I think Kathy Bates got her Oscar. She won an Oscar, I think. I think so. And I think that film could and should be remade because I could absolutely see um, it be re, uh, recontextualized into the modern day's toxic fandom. Yes. I can imagine, I don't know, the head of Bioware um, who, who oversaw Mass Effect 3 in a mm. car crash and he's woken up and a big toxic fanboy is like, you need to change the ending of Mass Effect 3. Mass Effect 3-ery. Misery. Yeah, <laughs> trying to almost crowbar that in. We've talked a lot about Stephen King and how he has a very dim view of uh, poor adaptations of his work. But uh, Philomo Man is very famously based on a short story of his, but it was also very famously sued for having next to nothing to do with the short story to the point where um, Stephen King sued to have his name taken off the poster. It was originally just, it was called Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. They still just kept it on the poster. Oh, I think they kept it on the video box. Yes. So he sued it again. But the damage is done because here we are talking about <laughs> it on the podcast. So, so sucks to you, Stephen <laughs> yeah, King. Twizzle on that. Yeah, the... the... The idea was that New Line Cinema, I think, had the right to the Lawnmower Man short story. And basically what they did was they combined it with an existing script called Cyber God. And there are tiny elements which carry through mm. from the short story. But you've read the short story. Yeah, I uh, read it today. It's it's a very short story. I have read longer Twitter threads, I think. And the short story in a nutshell, is a man hires another man to mow his lawn and this lawnmower man seems to worship the Greek god Pan and ends up fucking the ground. Okay. Oh, sorry, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Spoilers? Yes. um, He has this lawnmower called Big Red, which, again, is very much like lawnmower in the um, film. And the man goes off to... There's like this full paragraph about trading and stock markets and things. And when the man is broken from his reverie about stock markets, he looks outside and the lawnmower is moving on its own, purely like possessed. It's referred to as a familiar, like a witch's familiar. And behind the lawnmower, the man is following it on all fours, eating the grass, which (laughs) is spewing out the back. I think I've got a passage from it uh, here. Oh, story time on the podcast. Are you sitting uncomfortably? The aged red power mower the fat man had brought in his van was running on its own. No one was pushing it. In fact, no one was in five feet of it. 
It was running at a fever pitch, tearing through the unfortunate grass of Howard Parquet's back lawn like an avenging red devil straight from hell. It screamed and bellowed and farted oily blue smoke in a crazed kind of mechanical madness that had made Harold feel ill with terror. The overripe smell of cut grass hung in the air like sour wine. But the lawnmower man was a true obscenity. The lawnmower man had removed his clothes, every stitch. They were folded neatly in the empty bird bath that was at the centre of the back lawn. Naked and grass-stained, he was crawling along about five feet behind the mower, eating the cut grass. Green juice ran down his chin and dripped onto his pendulous belly. And every time the lawnmower whirled around a corner, he rose and did an odd skipping jump before prostrating himself again. Stop, Howard Parkett screamed. Stop that. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, stop that. <laughs> as you would, as you would. <laughs> well, the character Parkett, the surname, that's uh, the next door neighbours of the uh, main character in the movie. I've always heard it had nothing to do, and it is very little to do with what we're about to talk about. But there's a, the main character in this story certainly does seem to appear in the film as a side character, and ends up much the same way. So spoilers for the film, Harold Parker is killed by a this, this lawnmower itself. And um, these two kind of cops just spend, they just re- re- um, review the scene going, oh, it's a hell of a thing this happened. Oh, gosh, how horrible. Yeah. And yeah, the idea of a possessed lawnmower going about on, on its own, that happens in the film. But yeah, the uh, lawnmower man himself, he, he doesn't look like, he doesn't have the oiled abs of uh, Jeff Fahey. Um, no, and I guess there's no virtual reality element either. Might be happening next door, but not, <laughs> not in this story. Not in this story. Yeah, Stephen King's defence was that apparently it, quote, bore no meaningful resemblance to his work. So that's why he asked for his name to be removed. And I guess in a way... Fair enough. I don't I mean, do you think people would have gone to see this film if it was just Cyber God with the exact same cast? I don't know. I'm, I'm The Stephen King name has, mm. you know, huge box office cachet. I mean, maybe, like, at this time, I guess Misery was maybe a year or two before mm. this film came out. So I think it was during the heyday where a lot of his books and short stories were being turned into movies and TV shows. I think there was a stretch from, say, in the early 80s to the mid-90s, where it, he was just omnipresent. I think the bulk of his films are in the... Films based on his work are, are in the sort of middling to poor bracket, yeah. perhaps. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is, hey, it's the waters we wade in. <laughs> so um, <laughs> We're used to mediocre to poor. Mm, fair play. Of course, round about this time, uh, this film came... For, the first Lord Man, Man is 92, isn't mm-hmm. it? Early 90s virtual reality, what was it like, Rory? It, it's funny because despite the fact that this film really wasn't... I wasn't the target audience because I was seven years old at the time of release, but I was very much aware of it. It seemed like trailers for it were mm. everywhere. I just remember the imagery from it quite a bit, and I think it's strange that like me as a tiny child should have been so aware of what's effectively like a rather strange mm. adult movie. I think it's that piercing, the piercing eyes on the CGI face. That's like this, the, even today, the 
screaming CGI face of the virtual lawnmower man is quite an arresting image, and you would have need seen you would have seen nothing like that before. Yeah. So that's why there's quite a common phrase, isn't it? It's like seeing the poster for Lawnmower Man for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so virtual reality in the nineties. Um, I remember a birthday trip, I think, to Thorpe Park, mm. and there was a virtual reality center, and in that center there was a flying. It's like a biplane. Yeah, biplane dog. I was racking my brain game. to know. Did, did we play that together or did I watch it? I play think it? we did. And the thing is, is that not just virtual reality, but simulators mm. were the big thing at the time. So in the Trocadero, as we mentioned in Alien War, in mm. our Alien episode, but there was also later the Imaginator, I think mm. it was called. And that was like a kind of simulator ride thing where it was a CG created roller coaster or some sort of experience like that. And so while virtual reality was still very much, you know, the preserve of like theme park attractions. And I know there were a few things where it's like you're on a treadmill walking around Mm. and doing some sort of like night's quest or or shooting aliens or something. Some sort of a night's quest? You know. Shooting aliens? What crazy concepts are these? I think they're very standard video game tropes. (laughs) Okay. Um, Not like having a shower or taking a dog for a walk? I have played a taking a dog for a walk arcade game. Yes. In Japan. Naturally. (laughs) (laughs) Just sort of simulations and things that seem like you couldn't go to a theme park or a fun fair or something like that without some sort of like simulator. And it was usually just a very boring... Like, you're in a Royal Air Force jet, and you're going over the ocean. Imagine oh. being in a featureless maze <laughs> with no dis- distinguishing features. Yeah. So I always preferred it when it was just like, oh no, it's a computer-generated roller coaster or minecart chase. So virtual reality simulation and things in the 90s, yes, it was limited, but it was kind of like how when 3D became a big thing in cinema... Um, everyone was like, oh, but 3D was all in the 80s and the 50s even. And so this current wave of virtual reality now with like PlayStation VR and um, went to like a VR center and played Mario Kart VR in Mm -hmm. in Tokyo. And uh, there's even like a VR bar uh, experience um, near where I live at the moment. Um, Is it like in Hook when they're eating fake foods? Well, I, don't, I, think it seems, I think it's real drinks and fake zombies mm. slash aliens that you're shooting. Yeah, it's like this new wave where VR has become sharper, cleaner, better and more affordable. Mm. But somewhere there's probably someone who's never left the, the virtual reality world they entered in the 90s <laughs> in his basement in his um because they were in these massive you had to stand in like a circular platform and mm. i just i just even at the time even in this world which i think in pierce brosnan describes this world as like a he's discovered a new world or it's like he's inventing a new world even then i found them quite frustrating and boring and not very not much fun mm. <laughs> so um i'm i've been turned off going to, i'm doing vr today Though I did enjoy some VR games actually in EGX Res, so I'm talking out my ass. Got got to be a dragon for a bit, which is fun. I'm just saying Mario Kart VR, it's you good. know, 
just the fact that I could look at my hands and I had giant Luigi hands mm. and then I could pick up items and throw them at other players. And you turned your magical. head and you found the blue shell is inexorably drawing towards you. <laughs> I hope they clean the VR sort of <laughs> suit you are wearing. So you again, were familiar with this film, um, seven years old. I being two years older, I was aware of it. I was nine. <laughs> um, but it wasn't just the film that uh, crossed our... Because we had our fingers on the pulse back when we were seven and, seven and nine. There was video games based on the Lawnmower Man, I think uh, came out in 93, uh, for the SNES and the PC. If uh, any, any other systems? Sega Genesis, Mega Drive, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> I think the the highlight of these games, which are which were the two of them were basically platformers, the highlight was again virtual reality sequences, which um, again we had a look at them on YouTube. They were quite impressive for the time using the sort of Star Fox um, style engine. I don't think it was the Super FX chip. Apparently, the those were the best bits, but the rest of it was a, a run and gun platformer, which wasn't very good. Interestingly, though. I think all Lawnmower Man games took place pretty much immediately after the end of the fil- first film, which then were rendered non-canon by the sequel, which we'll also talk about in a bit. But do we have anything more to say about, about this before we dive into cyberspace or cyberscape or virtual reality or whatever this thing's about? No, I think we can tackle... Uh... Our double feature, mm. science fiction double feature, mm. in the words of the massive lips from Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Indeed, though, as we will learn, I think one is science fiction, one is set in the future, and one is set today. I thought you were going to say one is science fiction and one is science fact. Well, <laughs> hmm. What we're going to do is the video box synopsis for the first film now, and the video box for the next film at a later point in the podcast. Yes, I have the 10th anniversary edition DVD. Mm, Does it have Stephen King on it? No. But I'm going to actually read from a video box copy which does have Stephen King on it, Mm -hmm. so you can see exactly how it was. Do you think he wrote the blurb on the video box? (laughs) He gave him a a favour. Yeah. You might as well. And it's the most har- harrowing, terrifying video box uh, synopsis ever. From the mind of Stephen King. <laughs> the blurb on the yeah. back of the box. Sex, nudity, mild. <laughs> yes, so it, it's interesting. There's various quotes from different publications. Dazzling special effects, even better than Terminator 2, says The Sun. Sizzling spectacular special effects, The Daily Mirror. Mind-blowing special effects, the Daily Star. Now, all they focus on is, A, the special effects, <laughs> nothing to do with the performances or story, and B, it's visual effects. Ah! Unless yes. they're really talking about, I don't know, the way that the headsets look and... Well, the lawnmowers flying on strings at people? <laughs> Maybe, they're just... Yeah, like... if, you, if you've not listened to our earlier episode, Jumanji or his fiance Lisa who works in the field of visual effects, will punch you from wherever she is. Um, <laughs> if you dare to use the phrase visual effects when you refer to special effects and vice versa. So anyway, um, take, us, take it away. What does um, the 1993 video box say 
about the 1992 film The Little Merman. Well, what's peculiar about it is that it has just obvious references to the fact that this is released in the UK. So at the top of the box, it says the UK's first virtual reality film. Why the UK? (laughs) It's like, isn't it? Was there another virtual reality film released in other territories that they couldn't? Cyber Kingdom. Yeah. Anyway, virtual reality, a computer generated world as unlimited as imagination itself. Pierce Brosnan is computer scientist Dr. Lawrence Angelo, a man with a vision of the future. Jeff Fahey is Job Smith, a simple gardener whose brain capacity is increased 400% by the powers of virtual reality. His possibilities are infinite. His potential is terrifying. Based on a short story by horror creator Stephen King, and featuring extraordinary special effects never seen before in the UK... (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know. I'm a bit scared. Are you sure this wasn't written by Stephen King? He knows where you live, the UK. I just want to see the VHS bots in like France and Germany and Spain. Maybe or it something. talks about the UK. It's like a very big Extraordinary deal. Extraordinary special effects never before seen in Botswana. <laughs> the Lawnmower Man is the ultimate futuristic thriller as the frightening forces of the human imagination and computer science collide to create a monstrous reality. The Lawnmower Man. The film of the future is here. Mm. Or oh, it, it was because <laughs> that's from 1993. I have issues when films say things like they're beyond your imagination or the limits of your imagination because I don't know how much I can imagine. And also this was written and directed by someone who clearly had the imagination to create this. Mm. It's like I remember distinctly, I took against the Harry Potter film. Of which there is one. <laughs> I took against the first Harry Potter film. The Harry Potter the movie. The Harry Potter movie. <laughs> they just combined all the, all the books into one film. Um, but I think the tagline for the first Harry Potter film was, you know, an adventure beyond imagination. I thought, this is based on a book. So, yeah, it has been imagined. Thank you very much. I think the original tagline for this film, isn't it? God made him simple. Mm. Science made him a god. I think it's a good tagline, though. From the imagination comes the story of a man. Go! Come on, boy, let's go. Grass is waiting for you. With the mind of a child. Yes, Cyborg Man, he came to see me. Cyborg Man? Comics, right? Yes, Cyborg Man. (laughs) And a doctor. Virtual reality holds a key to the evolution of the human mind. With a vision of the future. I have a game in my house that you might like to play. Would you like that? Yeah. Okay. That was really bad. I have different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. Now, Job Smith is about to enter the world of virtual reality. Ah, it's gonna hit no, me! No, no, Job, just relax. It's gonna be like being up there with the stars, Job. They're going to another planet. His mind is like a clean, hungry sponge. Ah. I just graduated to the next level, Job. <laughs> You're not the lawnmower man. Oh, you've certainly changed. I don't know how you did it, but I approve. I absorbed Latin yesterday in less than two hours. Joe, where are you? Joe! Joe! A 
world where the normal course of events can suddenly turn inside out. You realize, Dr. Angelo, that my intelligence has surpassed yours. The imaginary becomes real. Trying to get inside my head, Joe. You can't hide anything from me, Dr. Angelo. And reality... We have no idea what he's gonna do. ...is all in your mind. This whole project is really based upon the title, The Lawnmower Man, because, yes, they took the title and they added it to that script, Cyber God. Cyber God is quite a good title. It, it really seems like this film has created a rod for its own back. It's like, we can get this Stephen King title and slap it onto this unrelated movie. Okay, it's called The Lawnmower Man. They, wait, what? <laughs> oh, right, now we have to <laughs> add lawnmowers the fact, in it. Lawnmowers in it. Mm. And then when people say, like, The Lawnmower Man, it's like, it could be scary, like if someone says it, The Lawnmower Man. Mm. Or it could be, like, The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it did strike me as a bit strange how... The last third of this film, which is about breaching the possibilities of the virtual reality, is sort of like a slasher film where he's walking around in like a wetsuit, terrifying people with an actual lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, yeah, he has the ability to like psychically control minds and stuff, but still got to throw that lawnmower in just to remind mm. everyone he's the lawnmower man, all right? He just. <laughs> and had, I can't even imagine. If the phrase the lawnmower man existed before Stephen King created it, <laughs> I guess. I guess you have like, if someone come in to clean your pool, you would say, because I have a swimming pool, of course. Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to think of similar jobs, which you have employment in American mm. movies, where it's like, but you'd say it was like the pool man is here. Yeah. It could or have been called say, the pool man, the toilet cleaner. Yeah. Or... I mean, <laughs> I've got my own toilet cleaner now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, there is a way you shorthand call someone who's here to do a certain task or service, the blank man, or the cable guy, the as cable. an example. Mm. But my issue with the film, at least the marketing of the film, mm -hmm. is that why did they make it so lawnmower man focused and big up Stephen King, when in the first five minutes of the film... <laughs> You have a hyper-intelligent chimp shooting a security guard in the head through yes. a... With his own gun. With, with his own security gun. security guard's own gun. Wearing a sort of infrared Robocop-style helmet. Yes. And you don't put that on the poster, or you do not call your film <laughs> Robo-Chimp. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? It could have... The film should have been called The First Five Minutes is a Robocop Chimp. Exactly. Um, I, I, did, yeah, believe, I did not expect this. I can't believe I have spent 27 years of my life mm -hmm. not watching this film because I did not know that there was... An ape escape yes. at the start of the movie. If someone had just told me the movie starts with Pierce Brosnan saying, he's the best chimp I've ever had. Yes, very much so. I wrote that down. I would have watched this movie from the get-go. Also, it's a dream. Because... but It's, it's, all, it's no, not. But no, it... no, here's the thing. The scene ends... Yes, you are correct. The, scene, the, the first five minutes of this film, which is meant to be as advertised as a Stephen King chiller... Okay. <laughs> is um is a chimp 
lockpicking his own cage after observing Pierce Brosnan shouting about how smart he is, dressed as Robocop, running around, using thermal imaging to see through walls and seeing security guards and blowing everyone away. And then Pierce Brosnan wakes up with a start and was he doing, was he dreaming he was the chimp? I think it was just, he had an unrelated nightmare. Oh, he had a feeling because it then turns out to be a premonition. Because well, then he gets a call, doesn't he, to say well, I don't your think chimp it's... got into your Robocop cosplay again. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it was... I, I think it's possibly unrelated and he's just having a nightmare because then he turns on the TV and it's golf war everywhere and he looks next door and there's domestic abuse happening. It's just like, oh, mm. the world's terrible. Mm. And I think, yes, you could argue that because later on the lawnmower man gets psychic powers and maybe the chimp had a psychic link to... Mm. It's warging to into... Pierce Brosnan, like in Game of Thrones, but chimp, I, <laughs> chimp had taken over his mind. But I think the idea is... And he was really good in bed that night as well. <laughs> but I think... Banana meant- skins everywhere, hanging <laughs> off the bedpost. <laughs> um, I think you're meant to just assume that, oh, maybe this was a dream and then it turns out it wasn't. So I think it's just like... Because every film needs to have someone waking up sexy and shirtless from a mm-hmm. nightmare going, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yes. To kind of backtrack a little bit, there's virtual space industries. Mm. There is the character Dr. Lawrence Angelo, played by Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. who is a very cool science guy. He's got an earring. He's sort of a bit Seth Brundle in The Fly because he's like your unconventional smoking science cool guy. I literally wrote down this should have been played by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah. Because... As as long-time listeners to the podcast know, I am pretty obsessed with James Bond, and I am waiting with bated breath for us to do a, a James Bond episode when they finally make the next James Bond film. <laughs> but Pierce Brosnan, big part of, of my life, um, because he was the Bond I first watched in the cinema, even though I've been watching Bond on TV for ages. But... <laughs> I think I've finally got a bead on what what I like, what Pierce Brosnan is. <laughs> I think he is equidistant between brilliant and shit. He's <laughs> um, perfect for 90s vanilla Bond, where there wasn't a Russian threat at the moment, and it was just just not trying not to offend anyone, really. <laughs> and it had everything in the kitchen sink. It had the gadgets and... Um, I think he's gone on record to say he wanted to do like a serious Bond all the time, but that just the stories and the scripts weren't doing it. But then you see him in other films, and I'm I'm always giggling at him. <laughs> in this film, he is positioned as a brainy, intelligent founder of this method of of creating highly intelligent chimps using virtual reality. And psychotropic drugs. Mm-hmm. I really don't understand that, but then I'm not a school scientist. So he, he's positioned as this genius scientist, but I just could never take him seriously. I think also because he does all these audio diaries and shirtless. Well, the thing is, is that he gets increasingly less dressed as he goes on. Like the first audio diary is him wearing a shirt, then the next audio diary is him wearing some sort of kimono with his chest exposed. Mm-hmm. And then the next audio diary towards the end, he's completely topless. Mm. And it's just like, 
Yeah, reveal a little bit more as you get more distressed about the events that are taking place. Were they video or just audio logs? Uh, well, he, he didn't have a camera set up. He was just sat next to a computer monitor. Just in case there's a video, he, um, he's undressed. <laughs> but anyway, so he's working for a organisation called The Shop. Mm. And that apparently is drawn from Stephen King as well. Mm. The organisation in Firestarter, I yes. believe, is called The Shop. He works for this organisation and the chimps... I think the chimps called Roscoe 1138 because you've got to have a THX 1138 reference. That's past me, bye. Apparently so. But yes, the chimp uh, was being experimented on and was doing some virtuality combat simulation. You've just reminded me of the um, the image of a chimp in a gyroscope. Yeah. It's <laughs> That's how the film around. starts. Yeah. I'd like to think... I, I was, You know what? I was disappointed to see the American Humane Society approve this film because I definitely <laughs> wanted to, an actual chimp to be in there. <laughs> but when the chimp breaks free it uh, yes it goes on a rampage and tries to escape but then is shot and pierce brosnan receives a call to say your chimp's dead mm. but in the director's cut so we watched the original cut i watched it half on dvd half on amazon prime mm-hmm. both in one a- in, in, IP, in each eyepiece <laughs> yes exactly to get the full 3d effect mm-hmm. um but the visual quality was awful. It's like really grainy. What, on Amazon or? Yeah, both. Oh, right. Okay. Seems to be taken from the same VHS copy or something. But there is a director's cut and there has been like a spiffy Blu-ray release version of it. And apparently in the director's cut, the chimp survives and goes on a few more adventures, meets Job, <laughs> like <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Is it the chimp from Speed Racer? Is <laughs> I don't know. I don't know chimp casting uh, hmm. agencies. But yeah, it goes, um, you know, meets Job later on in the film. And then, like, eventually, like, the evil priest, like, says, you shouldn't bring a chimp near the church. <laughs> and then Don't he's... bring a chimp near the church. It says so in the Bible. Where? <laughs> you're Some, tem- somewhere. You're, you're tempting Darwinism. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, like, the evil organization soldiers come and shoot the chimp then. So that's like a whole strand which just doesn't exist in the, it's in the like final a, film. A, 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 a delay, a reprieve for a few more days. <laughs> yeah, a few yeah. more days it to live. One day of till retirement. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a bit annoyed that I missed out on extra chimp action, but then again, I didn't really want to watch 140 minutes of this movie <laughs> on the back of the Blu-ray. Extra chimp action. <laughs> yeah, more uh, ape than you can handle. Mm. So anyway, I mean, I thought that was maybe. The, the fact is, is that the chimp has been experimented on and they've added all these kind we've, of... We've spent a lot of time talking about this chimp. I, I, it it's probably be the is the best, the, bit, it's the best bit of the film. Probably. But they were amplifying the chimp's aggression vectors or something so it could be combat simulation. There's all this kind of military application going on with this chimp in a sort of Far Cry super soldier style. I didn't know whether that was the thing about video game violence, the fact that the chimp was in a VR simulation shooting things and then was just like, yeah, I'm going to shoot an actual person. Maybe the moral of the story is don't give chimp anger increasing drugs. <laughs> or and guns. Give, and, and guns. <laughs> Nexus to firearms. Yeah. So, anyway, Dr. Lawrence Angelo Pierce Brosnan... He's... This is a very long name. Well, it's a great doctor name, Lawrence Angelo. We can call him Larry, or we can just call him Angelo. I like Angelo. 
But yes, he's doing VR research because he believes it holds the key to the evolution of the human mind and all he needs is a human subject on which to test on. So he's and he given... looks out of his window <laughs> and on a little verge of grass going past is, is the lawnmower man. The lawnmower man himself. Like a comically fake... It was a, just a tough little grass just there, just just, just ready, aching to be mowed <laughs> by a lawnmower. So yes, the lawnmower man is uh, called Job, but it's pronounced as Job from the Bible, but it's spelt with an E. And I think, is that so American audiences on? I, I don't know, what, well, why I wrote, is that? I wrote down Job as J-O-B in all my notes, mm. and then when I looked it up later, they wrote them down as J-O-B-E. Um, uh, so, I mean, do you know what, you know, what is Job in reference to? Do you know the story? <laughs> Well, let's just say the religious stuff is laid on thick in this movie because <laughs> and a lot of Stephen King yeah, is laid on very thick. But this particularly because not only is he called Job, but he actually works and lives in a church and he's been taken in by a priest. Oh, I didn't realize he lived Well, he, he was lives in a on shack the ground. Next to, yeah, so mm. he, I think but he has like duties to the church mm. and you know, we see him with a Christ on a cross and he's doing penance in his little shack and the priest is kind of annoyed with him for shirking his duties and sort of says he brings the wrath of the Lord upon himself just like his namesake well isn't the story of Job um, how a man with a wonderful life is punished by Satan with God's permission so Job isn't bringing it upon himself. Satan is doing it to him. Has he read the Bible, this this priest? Maybe he thinks virtual reality is Satan because he says he's been possessed by evil by hanging I out mean, with Pierce Brosnan. He is Satan. Everyone knows that. What I quite like about this film is the fact that there isn't really a hero. Mm, like, yeah, it's a Pierce pose. Brosnan, like the Angelo character, is... He's obsessed. He's, he's experimenting on some guy and, like... You, does sort of give some sort of consent, but he knows full well that he doesn't really understand what he's getting himself into. No. He's, he's full-blown Tropic Thunder's Simple Jack at the start. Well, he's also dressed like a minion. He has got like a yellow <laughs> mm-hmm. shirt and uh, blue dungarees. So he's mm. operating on that level. I'd say he was... I quite like his performance, though, because he mm. is... Yes, he's simple, but I don't think he's stupid. Mm. It's just like people can easily take advantage of him because he doesn't really have the sort of faculties to respond or really, you know, sort of understand quite what's going on. Mm. But he is like aware of his own limitations. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. Um, he, He's got like comically silly blonde hair. Sure. And he's got very piercing blue eyes. I couldn't work out if that's the actor's eyes or contacts. I think those that's Jeff's Jeff's eyes. Oh. I think he's got some burning blue eyes. Because, as I mentioned earlier, the virtual reality Job, again, has got very dis- piercing eyes. So I wondered if that's why he's cast, because he looks like a computer. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in terms of the performance, it could have gone really like I'm a big dum-dum sort of thing. I think it's actually, I'd say, fairly sensitive, at mm. least at the start. And yes, people are taking advantage of him. But what I like is that I think it's a very good, you, you believe his transition. 
and like when he is starting to become more intelligent and when he is starting to become more psychotic etc i thought that was a good performance and i think he sold the intensity later on mm. i think it's a tricky role to get right have you read um, flowers for algernon I have not, but I am aware that this is riffing on that. It's a very... This is the Games and Film book recommendation. Read Flowers for Algernon. It's, okay. a, it's a very similar Don't thing. Don't read The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> read Flowers Christ, for Algernon. Christ, no. Um, no, that's... The clever thing about that book is that it's, it's about a, a dummy who gets a drug which uh, starts to make him smart. But I think the book is written by him ostensibly so it's the start of the book is full of grammatical errors and spelling mm-hmm. mistakes and as it his intelligence progresses so does the prose so mm-hmm. yeah so definitely recommend reading that so Pierce Brosnan is he, is he like in, he his boss who's wearing like business braces um tells him to sort of take a bit of a vacation and so he's at home stewing and trying to work out what to do in his virtual reality sex chair <laughs> yeah he has got like a vr set swing i mean later on um he gets um his neighbor his kid's neighbor peter parkett Pe- peter parkett which is an interesting name he gets peter parkett and job to straddle his um virtual reality flying simulator which has definitely been used for sex <laughs> And later on, there's a there's a virtual reality sex scenes, and I'm like really hoping they rinsed out those um, virtual reality suits good and proper. I don't think they get a wash. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all oh, this groinal attachment is burnt through again. Yeah. Um, it's like the holodeck on the Starship Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> it's somebody's job to clean it. <laughs> so data, <laughs> data's job. Data. You can't you can't abuse an android. It says so here. <laughs> Angelo sort of takes Job under his wing and... Starts experimenting on him. Yeah, as, as he would do. I mean, he does sort of say, I'm going to try some games out on you. This is games on film. So he asks, do you like to play games mm-hmm. and stuff? So he says, these games will make you smarter. And um, Job's like, yeah. It's Professor okay. Kawashima's brain training. Yeah, it's pre- it's pretty much starts off with some brain training exercises. And later on in the film, a big floating head shouts at you, <laughs> at, at people, just like Kawashima. It does. And but but it do- doesn't Ka- have Kawashima cyber sets. <laughs> no, and Kawashima never <laughs> um, attacked you with a, a swarm of CGI bees. Okay, now, Job. Now, remember, one of the four shapes on the bottom row, you see them down there? <laughs> Matches one of the shapes on the top row. So put your finger on here and move that shape to the question mark. All right? Incorrect. No. Try again. Try again. Okay, here we go. Incorrect. No. Don't worry. Don't worry. Take your time. Take your time. Here we go. But so gradually, Job starts to become cleverer and he starts answering back to the priest. There's the scene where like the priest walks in on him in his shack and he is half naked and he's like, oh, he's self-aware of his like muscular physique all of a sudden. I wondered and if the... he was muscular before the experimentation, though. I don't know. I did lawnmower work. Mm. It's hard, grueling work if you're out there um, every day. But, like, 
the priest bursts in and he's just like topless for that second. And the priest's like, oh, you're half naked. This is a perversion. Like, mm. but how else are you going to get dressed? Does Wait. he have to like keep his clothes on? Is he like a never nude? Like, yes, I was going to say, the priest is a never <laughs> in nude. Arrested development. Um, but Joe Bardew's back and starts standing up to him, and that's sort of proof that he's, um, you know, becoming self-aware and becoming... He has eaten from the Garden of Eden. He has. He's plucked a wow. juicy virtual reality apple from from a tree. <laughs> like Apple computers. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Maybe Apple is the creation of Satan. <laughs> Well, the Apple logo is an apple with a bite taken out of it, mm-hmm. which would suggest that the apple of knowledge mm-hmm. has already been consumed. Mm. And Adam and Eve then were expelled from the Garden of Eden to create the first personal home computer. Yeah. Do you think heaven is populated by people from the Genius Bar? <laughs> God, I hope not. They're walking around in their little plastic lanyards. Turns out everyone in heaven, they worked in an Apple store. Mm-hmm. That is your prerequisite for entering heaven. Have you been the Apple store in Regent Street? There's a sign when I walked in which said, if you go into the store, you, you basically you allow your image to be used in all sorts of promotional material. I didn't go into the store, <laughs> I left. Anyway, you can download this podcast from all good podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Speaking of Jobs, Steve Jobs, <laughs> Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. There's this subplot, uh, I suppose, where he's at the gas station, and Job has become so intelligent and self-aware he's bought himself new clothes, and the person whose lawn he mows. Mm-hmm. Miss Burke notices his juicy ass in her as a full blown ass shot. I could even as a heterosexual man, I really enjoyed that <laughs> tight ass jean, <laughs> jean shot. That's beautiful. And so, yeah, they start a kind of nineties softcore, cheesy, pink silt sheets, sexy lemonade Why are you session. So judgy. <laughs> I thought it was hot. <laughs> not, yeah, but not, it was nineties. Really really I think Job's best friend is um, basically groundskeeper Willie, but Irish. <laughs> An Irish groundskeeper Willie. I don't know what would he be called. Rumpley Stiltskin or something. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin Irish? I don't know. He's vaguely leprechaunish, I suppose. Well, maybe. But he says, oh, Jesus, mother of God, would you look at that? Uh, that's not even an Irish accent. That was an American accent. But you catch my meaning. He basically tells Job to... I hate this expression, but he tells Job to get his dick wet. So, um, so Job does that. Yeah, he's smart now. Yeah, <laughs> he knows how to pick up girls. He tells Peter that he doesn't read comics anymore because. Oh, I thought he said dog Peter that he like fucked the next door neighbor. <laughs> I just fucked a next <laughs> your next door. Oh, no, Job, cool. Job, <laughs> cool. Dad. I can't wait to be smart and big like you. But yeah, he, he's he, also he, absorbing like. There's the scene with the kid when he's saying, yeah, I don't read comics anymore, because they were like comet swapping buddies. Um, I actually took offence to that. It's like, I'm smart, so I don't read comics yeah, anymore. Yeah, I read graphic novels. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, I, I read I read graphic novels. Trade paperbacks. Um, yeah, but they're in the car, and he's got a ghetto blaster, and he's sticking CDs in, and he says, oh, I can just sample the music. 
Uh, and then I get the gist of it. So he can just listen to a piece of classical music. And he's just like, oh, that's classical music done in a kind of Johnny Five short circuit way. But he's pretty much like a human Shazam at this point. Yeah, does he know how long classical music tracks go on for? <laughs> There's a bit of variance. Yeah, yeah. I did notice in that scene when he was flipping through the CDs that the music would continue after opening the CD and removing the CDs, which led me to believe that the makers of the film perhaps didn't have CD players um, <laughs> at that time. But his abilities is also, at one point, Angelo remarks, uh, he's absorbed Latin in less than two hours. It took me a year to learn the Latin alphabet. (laughs) Isn't the Latin alphabet the Roman alphabet, (laughs) i.e. the alphabet we use? Oh, um, I wouldn't be confident enough to say that (laughs) on a podcast. I think you you should take that back. So anyway, basically he's getting super smart super quick. I mean, jumping back a bit, I observed that... Some of the first images that are forced into the eyes of Job are like kind of satanic text. And I thought that's probably what caused what <laughs> all the problems you had in the chimp. It was a Street Fighter Blanca situation. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. They just stuck the wrong stuff in his eyes. Mm. But I mean, this is definitely not a film for those with any kind of epilepsy. No. There's a lot of flashing images. Or, t- or, t- or tastes. <laughs> or tastes. These experiments, though, I mean, they are working and he is getting smarter and um, he's been doing this on the sly. So when he does start presenting this back to his boss at um, the shop, um, when the his boss says, um, we, we can report these results directly to the Department of Scientific Intelligence in Washington. DSI is bound to offer you both tits. I had to rewind that a few times. I didn't see that? But definitely, yeah. Okay. It's like when he does the hand gestures to indicate tits. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, whatever that means. The the head of the shop is played by Dean Norris, who is probably best known nowadays for being in Breaking Bad. But it's funny because he's playing like this sort of like tough cop in Breaking Bad. But here he's got this like really cod hoity toity. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to take over the research. <laughs> so all this stuff makes Job go psychic. Somehow, becoming a master of the virtual world allows him to lift chairs almost as if they're on strings. <laughs> <laughs> almost, but not quite. Almost, not quite. I did look for the strings, couldn't see him. When he was demonstrating his chairlifting ability to Pierce Brosnan, he didn't do what I would do, which was immediately look up for the strings. <laughs> Perhaps because that would draw the audience's attention to the strings. The strings which weren't there. Yeah, he didn't just have like a hula hoop on standby and sort of mm. passed it <laughs> sort of through the chair just to make sure. Look, no strings. That bit, though, takes place in the room with the gyroscopes. And it's pretty cool when the... They're spinning around in this in this, this their uh, cyber spheres, I think they call them. Yeah, I guess that's that, that's sort of the legacy of this film. They um, and seeing it now, I, I mean, forever people have been telling me that this film isn't that great, and they are right. It is not that great, but there's some arresting imagery, and of course, the eight minutes of CGI was like nothing really seen in cinema before. I mean, there was the T-1000, but that was very much dumping a CGI character into the real world. And this was sort of a virtual world, so... I think the thing with the CG effects and the virtual reality realm that they exist in, and it's a shame that I wasn't watching an HD version of it, because I would have liked to have seen it looking very crisp. 
Maybe um, in a year's time we can see the director's cut with extra chimp action and <laughs> H and 4K. Let's hope so. The thing is, is that yeah, it's not trying, it's not attempting to place something in the real world. It's very separate from that. Apart from when it starts bleeding into the real world, and that's less effective. Less effective. <laughs> but um, when they're in that world, it's it's trying to create something which is deliberately trippy and odd and strange and a little I, bit disturbing as well. Yeah. It's not that the visual effects have dated in that sense, but the way they look is definitely a very 90s aesthetic. Mm. It's very teen stoner bedroom poster mm. look, particularly when it gets into like the sort of human characters and you get the sort of rise of the robots, <laughs> T-1000 on a crucifix um, look mm-hmm. that sort of features later on in the film. I guess like one of the key sequences which uses that is the cyber sets scene. It's on the kind of video bots and it's sort of like a key image mm. of the film. Uh, so Job Tate's Miss Berg, who he's having this sexual tryst with uh, to the uh, virtual space industries and they plug themselves both into the gyrospheres, but unbeknownst to job he's sort of the shop have started giving him the same drugs which turn the chimp crazy yeah so he's They'd be now... giving him bananas of pills inside <laughs> <laughs> and he's like okay sure whatever so he's been getting sort of seizures and headaches and he can hear voices and yes do psychic abilities but also he's sort of like gone a little bit he's had sort of like vr overdose Basically, like at one point he says, like, I saw God, I touched God while he was in the virtual reality. But still, he goes on a little cyber sets mission and they... I fucked God. <laughs> I made God have... come. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so they have squishy liquid lips and they become a big sexy dragonfly. Um... <laughs> you just said that so casually as well. They, have some... they just become a big sexy dragonfly. Uh, but then she gets trapped in a sort of web and he turns into a scary... Well, it kind of looks like the Pokemon Loudred, which uh, provided the sort of speakers in Detective Pikachu. It's got the same sort of like yes, mouth okay. and mm-hmm. thing, whatever. Took me a while. That kind of results in her Not comatose, her. giggling on a bed and literally having her brains fucked out. Mm. Did she ever recover? Don't think so. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> that sounds really no. So yes, the horror, the horror of it all. That the what happens to um, his neighbor kicks off. I suppose the 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 final third of the film. It, and as I said earlier, it just sort of becomes a bit of a slasher film, which I kind of smacks slightly like a, of a lack of imagination. It is certainly a lot of fun to. Um, See someone being chased around the house by a lawnmower. And he wreaks revenge on his abusive priest. Yeah. Uh, by killing him with, like, digital fire. Yeah. That was, um... That's definitely dated. <laughs> that's the thing. is, It's when those special effects Come are in the, in the real world, are IRL. They lose some of their charm. Some of it, but the, later on, uh, some security guards... 
are turned into sort of CGI marbles. And I've always find that very disturbing because I guess it's because they are conscious. It sounds, it seems like they're just trapped in this sort of marble hell for all eternity. He kind of feels a bit godlike now, and he, he just a bit demigod. Yeah, like. demigod. <laughs> He's got a semi god. Semi god. <laughs> and he becomes obsessed with basically uploading his entire consciousness online. Um, online circa nineteen ninety two. So really, mm, it just means I'm gonna, I'm gonna just like inhabit everyone's phones. <laughs> mm, he's gonna knock people's phones off, or um, off the hook. Off the hook. This technology has peeled back a layer to reveal another universe. Virtual reality will grow. Just as the telegraph grew to the telephone. As the radio to the TV. It will be everywhere. You're having delusions, Job. Struggle for reason. I'm going back to VSI. To complete the final stage of my evolution. I'm going to project myself into the mainframe computer. I'll become pure energy. Once I've entered the neural net, my birth cry will be the sound of every phone on this planet ringing in unison. Now, crucially, he is talking about virtual reality and not the internet. Yeah, but it seems to be a bit in both films that they are one and the same thing. Well, I feel that... The second film is very much about the internet. Yeah. And and the virtual reality in that film is a way to explore the internet. But in this first film, it, the buck stops at virtual reality. The buck stops at pretending you're a dolphin <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or a sexy dragonfly. <laughs> but there's this good moment where some good acting from Mr. Brosnan... But he's trying to convince Job to say the first sign of psychosis is the Christ complex. But then Job is trying to like psychically get into Angelo's mind. And there's this <laughs> bit where Pierce Brosnan is like going uh, 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 and groaning and like grimacing and like slapping his own face and stuff to try and stop Job from that. getting in. It's, um... it's beautiful. And then he gets uh, caught up in some cables and there's some good like... Uh, reverse footage of him being tied up mm-hmm. by psychic cables. I guess that's, that's proper going back to your Rada days. <laughs> they pretend you're being psychically attacked by extension cables. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and now be a tree. And now be a tree being attacked by psychic cables. Yeah. But uh, Joe heads to the uh, virtual space industries institute mm-hmm. whatever to like climb into the cybersphere and in doing so he manages to um you know get through some guards he psychically forces a guard to shoot himself in the head it's for a instance pit- it's a pity he didn't dress as robocop and go to rampage <laughs> like the chimp yeah it's a shame but yeah so he goes into the virtual reality realm and angelo is found by peter and they make their way to the um VR center. And as I alluded to earlier, the security guards are all attacked by CGI bees. Yeah. For some reason. Digital swarms happen all the time. Mm. I think they've used their, they had five special effects and they had bees and they had to put bees in some capacity. And they could have been in a sex scene, <laughs> but we decided at the last minute to have them attack security guards. Yeah. I've spent a month animating a bee. 
<laughs> Got to put it in the film somewhere. Mm. Um, but luckily, the security cards all disappear, but carefully leave a machine gun an assault rifle just leaning against the fence for Piers Brosnan to casually pick up and, and follow uh, Job into the, the shop. But uh, Angelo finds Job uploading himself onto the, that, the interweb or into virtual reality. And when he does this, his body completely desiccates. It, it dries out. And this is important for later. <laughs> <laughs> but he's basically uh, like a willowed crusty old corpse now yeah his whole consciousness is online his whole body is just flat Mm. he's just turned into like like an almost sort of looney tune steamroller man like what uh dr doom and who framed roger rabbit yeah yeah not just a (laughs) tune with the piercing eyes exactly i didn't notice (laughs) when anyone it does the gyroscopes they go into to enter virtual reality do does seem like the sort of thing you need a few people to help you get into, but they frequently jump in and out of them. Oh yes, but they they don't show you them getting mm. in and out of them. Uh, why the gyroscopes even is virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, like you can sit in the chair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is probably where the, all the budget went. This sort of final. Kind of shitty, but a final battle in, in the virtual space between two CGI characters. and But I think there's just enough goodness in him to let uh, Angelo and uh, the kid who's followed them in escape. And Yeah, because oh, Angelo yes. has set the whole place to explode by... Uh, by C4. Yeah. I was getting... He found some explosives in the van. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, damn it. Do you remember where I keep my C4? <laughs> <laughs> it's like somewhere... Isn't it like um, in the study? <laughs> yeah. But uh, crucially, Job manages to get access granted to allow himself into the planetary network just as the centre explodes. Mm. Like, they, had, they do love their robot voices in this film as well. It's like, access denied. <laughs> and it's like, both in this film and the sequel... The, the hallmark of a good, of a master hacker is shouting instructions at a screen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you don't have to know any code. It's like, hack into airport security, access denied. <laughs> so yes, the shop explodes and all's well that ends well. Yes, Angelo does another one of his final audio loads. This time in just his wife fronts. (laughs) Wife fronts and sandals. And he's sort of saying, I won't let Job's death be for nothing. (laughs) I'm not going to acknowledge that (laughs) accent. He went into Littlefinger territory. (laughs) I did a little bit, Aidan Gillen. Um, Taking my work underground, I can't let it fall into the wrong hands again. He says, if we can embrace our wisdom instead of our ignorance... This technology will free the mind of man, not enslave it. That's very profound. <laughs> it's um, very beautiful. Yeah. But then, do you know? Do you think he knows what that means? I think he said it because it sounded profound. Not a clue. <laughs> but they, he's just about to leave with the Parkettes, the surviving Parkett family. Like, sorry, your dad died, but I'm your dad now. But he has a wife who leaves him oh, really early on in the film. Mm. I quite like that. I like the fact that she just upped and left. It's just like, you're too focused on your work. I'm out of here. I think she's probably having a fan-fucking-tastic life. 
But how does the film end? With the sound of telephones ringing, signaling that he is now the speaking clock. <laughs> it's like he's given the ungodly power he's to control on, time. He's on every late night sex chat hotline. <laughs> Welcome to Job's sex line. I'm not wearing any clothes. Have you thought about how expensive the mind can be? <laughs> <laughs> I am a sexy dragonfly. <laughs> I hope you're into dragonflies. <laughs> it's the only sexy animal I know. <laughs> um, so, The Lawnmower Man, directed and written by Brett Leonard, who would go on to direct Virtuosity. Starring Denzel Washington and oh, Russell Crowe as a very interesting as a virtual reality simulation serial killer. He's like a a collection of all the worst serial killers, and he's Russell Crowe, which tells you something about <laughs> Russell Crowe. <laughs> Poor Russell Crowe. How many men does Russell Crowe have buried in his garden? <laughs> um, um, I, I think I'm legally obliged to say I do not believe Russell Crowe. <laughs> Has, has been on the anyway. killing spree, <laughs> and his cinematic career is just an excuse to travel country to country and kill locals. That's the disclaimer. <laughs> Brett Leonard is gone on to set up his own virtual reality company. Oh, that's interesting. That's his. Current... Has he learned nothing? <laughs> that's his current job. He's he's no longer filmmaking. He is now. Running a company called... Job Center Plus. No. <laughs> Very good, but no. <laughs> Didn't think of that one. No, it, it is called Virtuosity, named after the film about the serial killer, okay. the VR serial killer. It's just like, it's staffed by two people, Denzel Washington <laughs> Russell and Crow. Russell Crowe. They're both temps. Yeah, they just got like name tag. I'm Denzel and I'll be serving you today. Russell, stop wearing my name tag. <laughs> But anyway, he trades in what he calls VX, virtual experience, as opposed mm. to virtual reality. He prefers the term VX. So, yeah, so the virtual reality filmmaker has become the virtual reality experience maker instead. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the mixed reviews for Lord <laughs> Mower Man. Yeah, just so, just before we move on to Lord Mower Man 2, I, I think it's... It's a okay. It's a fine film. It's probably I think its its reputation is well deserved. It is kind of it is a very average film, but um, the the special effects bits are an interesting watch. I don't think it's quite. I don't think the CGI is quite as pretty as things like Tron, which I think I I mentioned in our Tron review that it's got very simple. Like I think next to no textures, so it has nice sharp shapes. This one, the it's just a little bit busier. But I don't think it has really the capacity. Yeah, it's sort of pretty in a way, but also ugly at the same time. Mm. It's definitely a milestone kind of film, though, because if it wasn't Lawn Mower Man, it would have been something else. Probably something else done by James Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I liked it a bit more than you did. I think it definitely feels a bit like an Outer Limits episode. It does have like a really weird feeling. I just think it's interesting that such an odd film was a success. It did make quite a bit of its money back, you know, for an independent movie. It did do well at the box office comparatively. And it did have a sizable, you know, cult impact. But it was a mainstream hit at the time. It's a strange mm, no, I'd, movie. I'd agree. I wouldn't say it's, it's experimental 
in terms of its technology, but it's also not just like we're going to put this technology in a very standard normal film and let the technology sell itself it's just like no we're going to bring people in with the technology but also just have all this kind of really weird pretty overripe and sometimes not very well performed or you know constructed film but uh, it's it's got this kind of just like really strange odd feeling which you just don't get so much in many films i suppose but I think, as you describe it, it's like all the elements of this film, if just done a bit better, it could have been brilliant. But I'll still, I'll still kind of recommend seeing it as just a cinematic uh, stepping stone. But perhaps I'm not going to watch it again. I think I am interested in that director's cut, just for curiosity, though. Um, Definitely for more chimp action. For more chimp action. Which should have been the subtitle for Lawman Man 2. But Lawnmower Man 2 has got two titles? Yes, let's talk Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace. Slash. Job's War. So I, I watched this on Amazon Prime. And uh, I've all my life, since 96, I have known this as Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace. But then, as the film starts, it announces itself as Job's War. I have no idea why this is and i've been looking online there's because there's not much love directed at this film there's not much trivia i can find about it about its making of and things like that so i've not been able to find why it's called beyond cyberspace and job's war i can only imagine that 1996 was when the populace at large started to really know about what cyberspace and the World Wide Web was. Yeah, maybe. Uh, according to a widescreen VHS edition of the first film, it said Lawnmower Man 2 Mindfire was mm. coming to cinemas in 1994. So mm. that got that wrong on two accounts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I prefer Beyond Cyberspace as, as a title. Interestingly, I don't think the character... Job ever wants to go beyond cyberspace. In fact, cyberspace is pretty much his hood. Well, I and guess... I don't think he does a war. I guess the beyond cyberspace is the real world. Beyond cyberspace is the world we're living in, right? It just depends on which Ooh. direction you're coming from. <laughs> That's actually broken my brain a bit. <laughs> Am I going into cyberspace or is cyberspace going... Uh... <laughs> so the sequel was directed by Farhad Mann. And I don't think he's done much. I noticed since. that not since, but I noted that he directed the pilot at least for uh, Max Headroom. Yes, or the TV movie Max Headroom, which of course Max Headroom, the character, was played by um, the man who replaces Job, Matt Frewer. I'm a fan of Matt Frewer. Um, he's shown up in Star Trek, and of course Max Headroom. But he's he's a genre character actor he shows up in a lot of things he's in Watchmen he's in the remake of Dawn of the Dead both Zack Snyder films he's got a distinctive look and voice and voice does a lot of voice acting too yeah that's right and well that was not Buck Rogers relevant to this podcast he does I think reprise his role as Matt's headroom in Pitzels 
at least okay. for a short moment or a voice moment. He has been in two Uwe Boll movies, mm-hmm. Darfur and Rampage, not that one. Um, so you're saying we're not going to do them? No, they're not video game related. No. But he did play the bishop in Castlevania. Oh, of course, yes. So we have we have talked about Mr. Frewer's work before. And, of course, Matt's Headroom was a creation of the directors of the Super Mario Brothers movie. So <laughs> maybe we'll get into them a little later. In fact, in, in also other tenuous video game movie links, I think my main interaction with Lawnmower Man 2 is that I think the trailer was on the Mortal Kombat video. Um, so I saw that many times. <laughs> so speaking of videos, um, do you want to hit us with the video box synopsis of Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace Job's War Mind Fire? Well, this one calls it Job's War, so that's what I'll go with. Enter the deadly world of virtual reality, where information is the key to world domination. In this intelligent sci-fi thriller that pits up where the original Lawnmower Man ended, Job has become a hostage in futuristic hell. And when he discovers a computer chip that will give him the key to the ultimate revenge, the battle for world control begins. With mind-bending special effects, Lawnmower Man 2 Job's War takes you into a world where only the hardwired dare to journey. What a lot of fucking nonsense. <laughs> well, that was sort of the plot. Who's Joe? He was a lawnmower man until my next door neighbor turned him into a genius. Job's waiting. Welcome to my world, Peter. I found the secret to immortality. Job's watching. In three days, I'll be in every system in the world. And when he goes online... No one checks out till we find his tools. He'll control your world. This universe is mine. Lawnmower Man 2. Beyond Cyberspace. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, January 12th. Speaking of what a load of fucking nonsense... (laughs) What the fuck is this movie? I actually... What the fuck is this movie? I actually think I liked it more than the first one. That doesn't answer the question. <laughs> what the fuck is this movie? Um, well, the first seven minutes are, like, not in widescreen. The first seven minutes is square. Is When you're doing, the quote-unquote, the past, even yes. though this is meant to be the present, the film starts with sort of a flashback where Job... Looking pretty damn good for a uh, frazzled corpse. He he is found in the wreckage of the shop. And he is um, using computers or some such bullshit. Is, uh, he's, his brain is sort of brought back to reality or something. It sort of ignores the... Ending of the, the first the film. ending of the first film. It ignores the ending of the first film, which 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 um suggested Job had made it on onto the internet or the phone system at least. It seems like he didn't get that far, and um they re- they recuperate his body. His legs are fucked, but his mind is still active. And gradually and gradually they bring him back to sentience. And after the at the seventh minute, the the doctors. There, uh, one of them, well, Dr. Platt, she um, sort of nurses him back to health. I was reminded of the Robocop TV series because of the square screen, and that involved Robocop in a chair with a doctor, lady doctor, 
It's like... Do- it's, lady it's, doctors are just doctors. I'm not, I don't know why I'm making a distinction. No, but, like, but later on in the movie... I had a doctor's appointment today. I didn't go, ooh, a lady doctor. Well, actually, later on in the movie, um, they are looking up details about Dr. Platt. And mm. they're like, it's a woman. <laughs> a woman? A woman. Woman? <laughs> Very Roger Moore. <laughs> mm. um, the doctor was a woman. <laughs> but um, the, the first seven minutes of his film, which, and I looked closely, contain no apes. Um, so instantly, thumbs down. Yeah. The first seven minutes are kind of redundant because it ends with Job's mind being uploaded to the internet like what happened at this end of the first film. They delve into his memories and he's got memories of Peter Parquet. So, like, he seems to be obsessed with this young boy. Interestingly played by the actor from the first film's younger brother. The only returning returning cast member is Austin O'Brien, who we'll get to a bit later. But when I saw, it looked like Austin O'Brien again. And this film was like four years later. So, anyway, he goes online is what I'm trying to say. And we cut to... The future. When the fuck is this movie? Is the next question. Okay. The Lawnmower Man 1 was made and are presumably set in 1992 because everything looks like 1992 did, or does, at least at the time of making. Mm. There's no hint that this is in any way set in any kind of... Re- well... Future, apart from the fact that... Pierce Brosnan is a vlogger. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Apart from the fact that he's got some fancy software. And yes, there is virtual reality in some cyber sphere center, but so well, they, what? They've got, the, every... got the techiest tech because yeah. they're a tech company. It's just how, you know, any film set in the present day, nominally like Marvel movies, everyone has like incredible technology, mm. or you they watch just... CSI and yeah. everyone's got like minority report screens and it's still set in the you know 2000s Mm. so yes this is los angeles the future Mm. and that would be fine if they wanted to have the idea that decades had passed since the first film but that single returning cast member is four years older (laughs) (laughs) so and the film is four. yeah the film is four years it was made in 90 it came out in 96 so, in the space of four years, Blade Runner has happened. Yes. And Los Angeles... Is it Los Angeles? Am it I... is Los Angeles. I don't know even if the first film was set no, near Los actually, Angeles. No, this actually, is, this is the one gimme. Perhaps, in the world of The Lawnmower Man 1, this is set in Maine, like all Stephen King is set. Okay. And then... In Los Angeles, it's a complete hellhole. <laughs> the future has happened mm. in Los Angeles on the western coast. There's um in Futurama, there's this running gag how um Los Angeles is like an apocalyptic Mad Mad, Mad Max style hellhole, and they go, yeah, it's Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. The thing is that the opening shot it looks like CGI, so I just thought, oh, this is all just like Job's cyber creation. And then it tilts down into actual actors and, like, a backlot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, no, wait, that's just CGI. Later on, we'll see virtual reality computer-generated graphics, but this is CGI in reality. Mm. <sighs> I still like the backlot cyberpunky stuff. 
But it doesn't... But, like, it would make sense if the end of the first film with the ringing Joe calling every telephone in the world that ushered in some sort of apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. In or the... it didn't happen because the start of this film retcons the end of the first one. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case... Why is it that there's this kind of mix of normal cars and future cars and there's CRT screens yeah. everywhere and there's like well, look, flames okay. and neon and rain? It's like... Uh... There's two answers. There's the real world answer, which is they only had budget for like five future cars. And then there's the wiki entry answer, the in-universe answer, where... The future is a mix of different time periods, Rory. That's what Ridley Scott did in Blade Runner. It was a mixture of old and new. But why even create this problem for yourself? Why even create this future? You either don't have the Peter character, like, and you set it in the future, or you set it in the future, but literally only four years and don't turn everything into like a dystopian hellhole. I think they should, given those scenarios, I would have not had Peter in this film. Yes. And have it set decades into the future and and Joe just have an older actor. The, the plot of this film is Google <laughs> because the, the, the villainous company who has basically bought Job and control Job as like a as a as a thing as a, as the keystone of their digital empire their their big goal is basically access people's personal information and use it and i think just just have it i was just watching this film thinking they just this is google this is google and wikipedia they this is the villains this is very much as you say it's it's an internet movie as opposed to a virtual reality movie and you know, the idea of the internet being something to be feared, and that's obviously continued since. I'm not saying this film sets the standard for that, but it is interesting how it does chime with mm. contemporary issues. And, like, the head of the the new evil organisation of this virtual light industries, a character called Jonathan Walker, played by Kevin Conway who was the narrator for the Outer Limits episodes. He's got this really distinctive mm. voice. And I was like, I recognise that voice. I misread it in the credits. I thought it was Kevin Conroy, who oh, voices Batman. Batman. <laughs> okay. I thought I was going to get Bruce Wayne in this film. No, sadly not. But he's, yeah, it's all this kind of privacy and like the idea of making all these people jack in to this cyber realm that they've, they've used Job to create. Well, they get the president to jack into the cyber realm, and by doing so, they can steal their information. But it's funny the way they do it because, like, the boss of this organization says, like, now look up any hypocritical Democrats earning <laughs> over 300k. Ooh. And it's just like social commentary. And later on, he calls this senator a liberal idiot. <laughs> mm. Well, it's funny talking about how this is like a, a 1996 view of 2019. Job's endgame is um, he's going to make the world so shitty that he's going to... Want, everyone's going to want to spend their time online. And it made me think, is this guy meant to be Donald Trump or Boris Johnson? <laughs> because they're basically blonde simpletons who get godlike powers and end up fucking the world. 
There's, I guess there's an element of Ready Player One as well. It's like, like Final Fantasy. These are films which may not be appreciated, but they've done things that have been seen in so many other films, like Ready Player One, Lord Merman 2, Beyond Cyberspace, Job's War, Mindfire, Created Google, <laughs> and, and Wikipedia. We will be joined by hundreds of other prominent people who will be jacking in from all over the country. So if you're ready, don your iPhones and we can begin. Yeah, Job's goal then is to destroy the world and basically become a new messiah. So he's created a sort of like utopia in his own image. It's it's just weird. I mean, if he's meant to be a religious person, there's like no through line of this character because... Why doesn't he want to be Cyber Christ? I don't know. I really. I, I guess in the first film, someone he... should have asked Job that. Job, Cyber Job, why do you want to become Cyber Christ? And he's like, mm, I don't know actually. If the Job of this film is the same as the Job of the last film, then, like, yes, Angelo was saying he has a Christ complex, and yes, he's been living in a church and has been flagellated by a priest and taking his revenge on the priest. And maybe this is just like super revenge by becoming a super god. I mean, he's probably just drunk on power, really. Yeah. The nominal uh, main character in this is Dr. Trace. You can definitely see that this character is just trying to be Mm -hmm. the Angelo character and probably was in the first draft Mm -hmm. or two. Angelo, and then it was just like, nah, we so, can't get pissed. I'm, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to do Lawnmower 2 Beyond Cyberspace? But interestingly enough, the actor who plays Trace, Patrick mm-hmm. Bergen, plays Pierce Brosnan's brother in Taffin. And also he was big in EastEnders, I believe, wasn't he? Apparently he was in EastEnders a year or so ago. Mm. Um, I also think... He's shit in this. I found him <laughs> distractingly bad because he always has this wry smile, like he's above everything. We we meet him in a shack. He's gone, for want of a better phrase, off the grid. Yeah, he's got a whole load of computers. He's become a sort of so he shaman. He owned the patent for this. He's basically the father of virtual reality, apparently, mm. and he had the patent for this virtual reality. A chip called the Chiron chip, which is apparently essential for creating Job's big cyber utopia. But he has become some sort of like hippie pirate Tommy Wiseau in the meantime. Got such strong Tommy Wiseau vibes. He's got the same sort of face. Yeah. But beautiful. What you didn't like about his performance, I actually quite enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Because I liked the fact that he seemed to just take absolutely everything in his stride just like the whole film passes him by and he's just kind of like looks at it and sort of smiles as it's happening you find that infuriating if you if you're like if the apocalypse is happening and he said there's no use crying over spilt milk no because there's always more cows because i think he had the attitude to this film that i had okay because so (laughs) you're watching this of a wry smile the 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 overriding strangeness of this film is just who is it for? And according to Amazon Prime X-Ray, which <laughs> is like trivia, which can you can look up about the film as you watch it, 
it said that the director had been locked out of the editing room because the studio wanted to make it for their target demographic, which was teenage boys. But the first film isn't really, I guess, for teenage boys. I mean, maybe because it was an R, mm-hmm. so teenage boys watched it in the States. But it's the first film, I think, is just like, even though it has like silly stuff, it feels a bit more mature. Uh, again, it wants to be a Stephen King film. Yeah. But Lawnmower Man 2 is clearly just for kids. It's an action-adventure film. But it's... it's With a grown-up in it. But it feels also like some sort of compromised editing has taken place in the process. Because there is swearing. Job sort of like... Oh, he says the F word. He says, um, you know, give me the clue to the Chiron chip before I get really fucking pissed off. (laughs) And, you know, there is a little bit of violence and that sort of thing. But the main sort of driving characters are a bunch of future street urchins. Mm -hmm. They look like they've wandered out of, like, newsies. And they're, like, high-tech hackers, but dressed like Victorian children. I did find it really quaint because... A lot of the plots out, they can't access the internet. They need, they steal a man's bank details so they can go online. And that's like today, everyone's <laughs> online. It's just like, uh, it had this real feel that only you needed, it's like about social mobility and you can't go online unless you've got a certain level of, of credit, I suppose. Mm. It's like an Amblin version of Blade Runner. Where do you play it on then? Yeah, a a, a little bit like that. And, you know, so at the start of the film, they're jacking into their own sort of like virtual reality game and it looks a bit Spy Kids 3D. Like all the kind of... Yes, big Spy Kids vibes of this. That's the thing. Riding a Canada motorcycles from Akira. I mean, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. I wish I had their cyber cycles. But they sort of drop into this jungle realm, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle style. And they sort of look a little bit like a JRPG party because of their... They've got these little long scarves and their silly outfits. I mean, I always felt this seemed to be a more expensive film. But then, now I've watched it, when when they fell through the jungle, do you think, oh, they didn't do a CGI jungle? They did a CGI, like a five... Like one or two second CGI tunnel, and then they just filmed it in a yeah in the back lots with lots of trees. Unlike the first film, where when they go into virtual reality, everything is computer generated. This is the real actors mm. in a kind of blue screen with sometimes CG backdrops, and, and which which means that Job now has to wear. The most interesting <laughs> costume I've seen on the podcast so far. <laughs> it's kind Describe of... Describe it to me. It's like somebody filled a, a, a blunderbuss full of various Egyptian artefacts and shot it at him. <laughs> and he's just got gems. He's got golden chain mail. I found it quite interesting when Job sees uh, Peter for the first time in years... He appears in front of Job, and he doesn't say, "Hey, I'm Job." He doesn't, and 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 Peter doesn't say, "Oh, look, I I see your face. You are Job." He he opens his hands, and a big lawnmower appears in front of him. <laughs> it's me, the lawnmower man. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> Remember me? Remember me? Like, oh, I now got I... a lawnmower. Yeah, that's oh. a big clue. <laughs> yeah, I guess he never saw him out of dungarees, but I just don't know what that outfit. 
it was about but it kept drawing my eye because of all the sequins it looks like the stage musical version of aladdin what the genie wears maybe um job could have said you've never had a friend like me i mean almost i can he, he's pretty much just the genie from aladdin mm-hmm. and i guess like he does a lot of quips and joking around and stuff which well, is a he bit says, kind he of... says incest the game the whole family can play <laughs> we seemed a bit out of character yeah, it's very odd, just that whole thing. And I guess later on, because there is this code name Egypt, mm. um, which is sort of preventing Job from assuming full control of the cyberspace. So maybe what he's wearing is a little bit Pharaoh-esque. Mm. The Chiron chip itself is a little pyramid. So yes. it's playing around with this iconography, but in such a sort of like... Two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle not quite connecting. Right? I mean, I guess this all harks back to his costume, because I'm sure the costume designer took a look at the script, saw a description of the chip, it's a pyramid, saw there's a code word, which was Egypt, and, and the costume designer just then thought, eh, I'll make him like a cybernetic pharaoh guy. That suggests that they made a costume for him. I feel like it was, they just got bits of different costumes that already existed from other movies and stuck them together. They found it in the charity shop from the future. (laughs) Speaking of recycling stuff from other movies, uh, there's this bit, I mentioned the senator character because the virtual light industries, they're trying to get congressional backing in order for them to be able to do their evil scheme. And the senator says, like, still a little unclear as to how this all fits together, which is the phrase of the movie for me. <laughs> um, that was like on the footer of the script, so it's on every page. Yeah. Um, but Joe takes revenge on this senator because the senator is potentially going to shut down um, the funding, I think, for the program or stop them going online. And he takes control of the plane that the senator is on and the plane crashes. But the footage is the plane crash from Die Hard 2. Oh, I didn't notice that. I noticed because, like, in Die Hard 2, I remember one of the planes, like, the British plane that crashes is called, like, Windsor Airlines. Mm -hmm. And there's a close-up of the plane, and I could make out a little bit which said Windsor. And then I watched the Die Hard 2 plane crash scene, and I watched the plane Mm -hmm. crash scene in Lawn Mower Man 2. And it's just slightly cropped, but it's the identical Could be just the same airline. (laughs) <laughs> just a very unreliable airline which has yes. actual two crashes one now and one in the future now job does seem to have the ability to take control of pretty much anything airborne <laughs> like, <laughs> like at one point he uses a helicopter there's a lot of films in like the 80s and 90s which where computers apparently control everything i was 99 percent sure i was going to see a possessed toaster in this film but <laughs> alas it does not happen we got possessed lawnmower in the first mm. film that's close enough the villain of this piece as he said was played by kevin conway uh, he is called walker and at the start of the film he introduces himself dr platt and um he also says and this is uh, jennifer who's this lady with um Ice blonde hair. In a uh, kind of severe bob. Severe bob. And I was so, so certain that she was going to be revealed to be a robot. That's what I wrote down. Because <laughs> she's so loyal. The and... fact that they introduce her, but he does it in such a way like, I'm not going to say her surname because she doesn't mm. have one because she's a fucking she's robot. She's Jennifer1138. 
She does everything in a movie that a secret robot would do, except for the fact that she isn't a secret robot. Mm. I bet that hurts her feelings. But I was expecting the reveal to happen. I was expecting she was, she was working for Joe Bora all along. I was just expecting her to just be his robot sidekick. And then, like, when she finally does get sort of, like, attacked or something, they, like, rip off her face and she's got circuitry. Mm. But nothing. Nothing. I mean, um... No chimps and no secret robots. No secret robots. Um, the third film, we need to have a secret robotic chimp somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a, there's a bit where Job brings every brings everyone from the organisation online and does a big speech and activates this Chiron chip. And it naturally has, like, a 12-hour countdown because in movies you can't just turn on a programme. They all need fucking... <laughs> Buffering? Have you have you done the latest Windows update? Oh yeah, twelve it hours of buffering. <laughs> buffering. Um, I feel like we're kind of going all over the place of this film, but it's kind of an all over the place movie. It's a pretty simple plot. There's yeah, there's a lot of toing and froing in order to get people to the right places to hack slash sneak into wherever they need to go. And I haven't even mentioned that the chip which Doctor Trace and his um van of chul- of, of orphan children <laughs> and a dog and a dog uh, it's he's just so dodgy looking he's got like white man dreads fingerless gloves a wry smile and a van full of kids and a van full of kids <laughs> he's like i don't know he's he's um fagin but not so anti-semitic basically <laughs> Digital Fagan. Yeah. Oh, I've just written the script for Oliver Twist 2029. <laughs> Jack into the new world order. Follow Job. Follow Job. Escape the violence and greed that threatens to consume you. 40 minutes to global Come interface. be one with your fellow man. This is true spirituality. But it, it all sort of culminates with them jacking into the uh, cyberscape. The only real visual effects in this film are just massive shots of the cyber city that's, that Job is creating with actual cyber cranes lifting cyber <laughs> pipes because the audience wouldn't understand construction unless there's an actual building site. But that's what happens in Ready Player One as well. They get mm-hmm. enlisted to build... They do, don't they? ...new cyber roads. It's like they need to make a visually... a quote-unquote visually interesting interpretation of constructing something. I'm just saying, Ernest Klein. Mm-hmm. I'm bet Lawnmower Man 2, Beyond Cyberspaces, or Job's War is on his DVD shelf. Most likely, Yes. So what do you do when you don't know how to end a film? A sword fight is what you do. Because <laughs> our, our heroes, they enter the cyberscape and um, I think Job has been doing a speech about how he's going to take over the world for a full half hour. <laughs> and um, while he's staying, as I mentioned earlier, he is saying, come to me, come to Job, live in cyberspace, not in the horrible real world. Now, it does seem that Living in cyberspace seems to just be in the crowd of a concert because he's standing in the middle of a stadium and whenever anyone enters cyberspace, they're just sort of got studio, they're just seating in a concert and they're like waving their arms around to be like, oh, I'm in, I'm in VR. 
So, I mean, cyberspace doesn't seem to be that interesting. No, it's just we're... a big arena, mm-hmm. and there's the the only like act a, is a some... TED talk. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just TED talk. Job has on on various points throughout this film been brandishing a very interesting, very intricate, very delicate looking sword. <laughs> uh, he's already used it to murderize one scientist with a bow tie. I was conscious how in this film there are scientists with bow ties and scientists with baseball caps, and I can only imagine that sort of denotes rank. <laughs> um, so stage one is a baseball cap. You have to wear a white lab coat, but you're allowed to accessorize. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but, but Dr. Tracy needs his own sword, doesn't he? And one just magically appears in Peter's hand. I think, yeah, because they magically can appear cyber cycles. So I guess it's like, we forgot to mention that the cyber cycle program at the start of the film was initiated by their pet dog. Yes, who has the ability to insert CDs. Yes, inserts a disc in and there's a nice cute shot of a paw putting the disc into the drive. I'm assuming the dog gave Peter... A large sword, which then Trace and uh, Job. And again, Job don't know who the fuck Trace is. I guess Job does know that Trace is a founder of VR. But there's no... I mean, this would have meant everything if it was Pierce Brosnan's character. Yeah. But it means nothing. It's just this weird dude who they found in the desert. (laughs) Yeah, the the sword fight is basically masters of the universe. Yeah, no choreography. I'm just thinking yeah. this film was like three years before The Matrix, which made me believe that Lawrence Fishburne could fight Kung Fu. Trace says he needs to get Job so angry that he destroys himself. And I think this is very offhandly done. It's sort of, I guess he gets angry via the medium of sword fighting. <laughs> I Yeah, I completely lost the plot as to what Egypt was, what the chip did. Mm-hmm. And it's like they have to destroy the chip, but Job then doesn't says he doesn't need it and he becomes the chip. But then he starts exploding and Trace says, it's Egypt, it was Egypt. Like the dam stops... I think Job he, from is he, uh, all I all I know is that it didn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> all it all happens is basically Job tries to do his thing and he can't. <laughs> that kind of describes most villains' plots. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, Job just kind of explodes in a big load of green light, and. Trace and the kids, Peter Pan the fuck out of there. I did notice when they were flying, their scarves hung loose, as if there was no wind whatsoever. <laughs> um, but then there's virtual wind, there's virtual flying, so maybe it's very realistic to what virtual reality flying actually would be like. But they all return to the real world, and for some reason, Job is now good. I think he has had all his intelligence that was turning him evil stripped away and he has reverted back to his happy, simple, original self. But how? It doesn't matter how. All it, how? All it suggests has is the that... the psychotropic drugs disappeared? 
But it's this whole, he's stupid again, yay. I didn't care he was stupid. Like, the final shot of the film yeah, is all of them enjoying the sunset. On a balcony. On a balcony, basking and pointing at the sun, and Job just, with his mouth agape, laughing <laughs> to himself. Maybe. Maybe he's just high on life. Yeah, it's a very abrupt ending and it sort of wraps everything up into a bow and again it just makes it seem like a kids movie mm. and like Job flat out murdered loads of people yeah he's got he's not you definitely get the impression he's not gonna pay for his crimes yeah uh, like I don't know what happens next but it seems like they're all cool with this former psycho hanging out with them I didn't know any of the people who died so it doesn't matter to me he killed a plane. He did. He did kill a plane, but he's also very reasonable uh, when it his rates for mowing lawns. Is ex- oh, okay. Extremely reasonable rates. You've just alarmed more, man, Joe. One more man is dead. Um. So, I mean, what do you think then of Little Merman Two? Beyond cyberspace. Oh, it's terrible. It, but enjoyably is, so. Uh, <laughs> That's a good sound. See, what's interesting about both of these films together, because I watched them not back to back, but one day after the other, is that they are both what one could consider bad movies, but they are very different flavours of bad. Lawnmower Man 2 is... It's just so muddled and tonally odd. It's just stuffed with very pedestrian antics and toing and throwing and characters that are sort of meaningless and pointless and I didn't care about anyone or anything that happened ever. <laughs> and it was mercifully shorter than the first film, but I think the first film just has some just sort of interesting intrinsic qualities to it and it's you know i think both films are very much a product of the, of their time yeah for sure and lawn mower man 2 you know has sort of higher budget i assume and it has sort of increased production values in an extent like the first film feels very much like a kind of underground mm, one it's like movie. set in a basement or a gyroscope lab. Yeah, and this film has like sets and it has a dog. A dog. <laughs> you know? Well, the first one had a chimp, but I imagine a chimp's more expensive to hire than a You'd dog. You think, but I was surprised. I don't know current animal trainer rates. <laughs> but take taken separate from the first film, I can see maybe something, but it's just seems like such a folly. To even like, <laughs> it's a good make, use of the word folly there. Even to make the film that they chose to do just seems like such a misguided thing in the first place. It just seems like a misbegotten adventure from the get go, and watching it doesn't prove to me anything that it was a worthwhile endeavor for anyone involved. I would recommend watching the first film because I think it's weird and interesting and. Yeah, there's like hokey crap stuff in there, which is enjoyable in of itself. This film has a lot of hokey crap, but it really 
sort of tested my enjoyment levels just because it just had such a real like kids film vibe to it and it's either be like a kids film romp or be like Mm. some dark twisted cyber adventure and this film's just like it's not for anyone (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to see that in the poster i reject that interpretation I mean, I'm judging these films on what they wanted to do. And the first one, I think, wanted to be some sort of intelligent CGI Stephen King thriller. And it kind of just kind of fudged its way through. And I feel Lawman Man 2 set its sights lower and was wanted to be a, like a dumb action-adventure film. And it kind of did that. <sighs> I can understand that it's why it's not the better loved of the two. I can understand why both films are not particularly well liked, but I think I had more fun with the second one because of it because it's just so, so fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and um, basically, I, yeah. the the op- the opening of Law Merman One with the cyber chimp is all of Law Merman Two. That's not true. <laughs> Nothing in Especially Lawn if Jennifer it turns out to be a robot. Nothing in Lawnmower Man 2 approaches the chimp escapades of Lawnmower Man 1. But I, I, I wouldn't necessarily dissuade people from seeing either. If you are interested in seeing either, you you know, I, I think you might get something out of it. But um, I just like a cyberpunk film, <laughs> I guess. I just like a cyberchimp film. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we combine the two? Mm. Somewhere in between Lawnmower Man 1 and Lawnmower Man 2, mm. there is the perfect film. Somewhere twixt God and the Chimp is, is digital perfection. <laughs> is man Is itself. man. None of that last sentence made sense, which um, but I think is perfectly representative of the Lawnmower Man franchise. So that's us saying fuck off the Lawnmower Man anyway. But uh, what are we doing next? Next episode of the podcast It'll be a special interview with our guest, Luke Owen, who is an author and podcaster, and he has written the definitive book of video game movies, Lights, Camera, Game Over, How Video Game Movies Get Made. So we're going to have a discussion with him all about how video game movies get made. Mm, It's the 40th episode spectacular (laughs) i say in advance of recording (laughs) it will be spectacular we have hired uh clowns and a firework (laughs) firework firework a firework (laughs) which Uh, we'll be setting off at some point during the episode probably not due to health and safety Mm. uh so do join us then for what will be i'm sure a very interesting and entertaining discussion in the meantime, how can people get in touch with us? We are available on all cyberspace channels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at GamesOnFilmPod. You can email us, GamesOnFilmPod at gmail.com. Our website, GamesOnFilm.Witsite.com slash podcast. Or you can find it through tinyurl.com slash GOFpod. You can find more information about video game movies there, as well as links in which you can support the show. I am on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for Games on Film was created by David Lightfoot. So thanks very much for listening. Apologies to Stephen King. Uh, I've been Cyber Harry. <laughs> 
I've been Rory1138. Mm. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.